after uh, having gotten, just gotten back from the beach, that uh, feels eerily familiar. Hey, welcome to Rockbridge at any of our five campuses in Hickson, Ringgold, Chatsworth, Dalton, or Calhoun. My name is Matt Evans, one of the pastors on our team. We are delighted that you are here with us. Thanks for being here. We are starting a, a new series today. As a matter of fact, called Spirit Blockers. And so let me just kind of give you a game plan of where we're going. For the next three weeks, we're going to be in this series called The Spirit Blockers. Once a year or so, uh, we like to do a, a series that is kind of heavy on what Christians call doctrine. And doctrine is kind of what we believe. I like, to just, I like to describe doctrine as how we describe an infinite, amazing God. And how we, in, in our finite minds, can talk about and better understand God. So we're going to do that for the next three weeks. So this may feel a little different if you've been at Rockbridge uh, for, a while, for a while, just as we go into some uh, in-depth spiritual truths on doctrines. And then we're going to do that for three weeks. And then for our kind of end of the summer back to school series, we're going to start a series that I'm really excited about, but it's called I Am Not a Quitter. I am not a quitter. That'll kick off in about three weeks, August 9th and August 12th. And if you're in our Hickson campus or you know people in the Chattanooga area, the northern Chattanooga area, especially Ultawa, uh, we are starting our second, a second service. So we'll have two services in Hickson starting on this weekend. So I ask all of you Rockbridgers to pray, to help us spread the word. When you see stuff on Facebook or social media, like it, pass it on, and share it as we get ready for two services in Hickson, Tennessee. So uh, when uh, my wife, Beth, and I, I'll tell you the story, kind of how we started uh, dating, okay? Uh, so we met actually in fourth grade Sunday school, and, and we're just kind of good friends all through high school. When she went to college in Birmingham, I went to college in Maryland. And uh, then I, I was in the Navy. I was getting ready for my first six-month deployment. And before we deployed, we usually got about two weeks off. So I came home and uh, did what every good red-blooded American Southerner does in the fall. I went to a high school football game, and someone can write a country song about this if, you're, if you need some material. And, uh, and Beth happened to be at the game. Probably for the first time in my life, I spent more time talking to someone than actually watching the game. And uh, we, uh, at that time, uh, I was on a battle group that was getting real-time, like Microsoft email. And so I gave my email address to Beth and said, hey, it'd be great have someone from home to talk to while I'm overseas for six months. And so we did that. We kind of did the pen pal thing. And I got back home to Mayport, Jacksonville, Florida, invited Beth to like come see me. She said no. Uh, I had prayer journals and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, I got an email from her said, hey, I, I think maybe I could come down on this weekend. We came, she came down. We went to Disney World on a military discount, saw Star Wars Episode One, and the rest is history, baby, okay? <laughs> Uh, that's how it happened. And, uh, and that, that's, again, like I said, country music song. But it, here's the point that we want to talk about today, okay? In every courtship, in every relationship, doesn't just, not just husband and wife, not boyfriend, girlfriend, but in every relationship, at some point, people have to respond to one another. Whoever initiates the relationship, there has to be a responder. There has to be an RSVP. So somebody's got to say yes. Two people got to say yes for that relationship to begin. And to understand the, the role of the Holy Spirit, to understand what, what kind of God does with us, is God is the initiator in a relationship with you and I. 
God created us in his image, and he woos us back to him. You know, we kind of rebel. We, we're, we say no to God. We say, hey, I want to do it my way. We say, I want to be my own God. I mean, we rebel in literally a million different ways, hundreds of different attitudes, thousands of different actions. But the bottom line is we just say no to, to the God of the Bible. We say no to Yahweh. We say no to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and to ever have a relationship with God... We have to respond to God. And the one, the, the aspect of God that we're talking about, or part of the Godhead that God exists in a Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we're talking about specifically is the Trinity, is the Holy Spirit, and that God reveals himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to make a statement, and we're going to unpack it. So God reveals himself through the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And we respond. Now, now let me make this point. It does not matter if you're a Christian or not Christian or not a Christian. Everybody responds to God. Everybody responds to the work of God that you see maybe in creation, that you hear about in church. Everybody responds to the work of God. The question that we're going to wrestle with in the next three weeks is, how do we respond to this dynamic work of the Holy Spirit? And the Bible gives us three negative terms for how we can negatively respond or negatively RSVP to this dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. And the words are resist, grieve and quench. So those will be our three passages that we, where we find the word resist the spirit, where we find the word grieve the spirit, and where we find the word quench the spirit. So we'll teach those three passages to understand this. But to, to get to the bottom of it, the Holy Spirit is revealing God to us in, 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 the, in the hopes that a relationship can be initiated. But God is the initiator. So let me kind of give you another scripture to unpack this and explain this. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Here's what this means. You and I will never just be out sitting under the apple tree and be able to, oh, get God. You, you and I will, will not just walk down the street and suddenly have a relationship with God. You are not born into this world in a right relationship with God. You're, you and I are born a sinner with a sin nature, which manifests as rebellion about at the age of two, okay? So that's how we're born. That's, and, and we'll never have that relationship unless, because no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God's got in store, what God wants, what God is like, unless God initiates, unless God woos, unless God courts us. And so that's what the next verse says. But it was to us that God, and here's the word, revealed these things. How did God do it? By His Spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. I can't read your mind. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. So we can't get inside the mind of God unless something happens. And we have received God's spirit. Those who are Christ followers, those who have had the, that, that moment and that life that results from that moment have received God's Spirit versus the world's Spirit so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. And, and that's really just a summation of what happens. And, and the, the beautiful thing for some of us is this, because you've grown up in church or you've been to a church, and when you, when you think of God, you don't think of wonderful 
You know, you think of hell, or you think of guilt, or you think of condemnation, or, or, or you think of shame, or, or you think of somebody yelling and spitting from up here on, on, on the stage or the pulpit. You don't think of like wonderful things. But, but what the Holy Spirit is trying to show us is the wonderful things of who God is and what God has done. So the, the best way I can sort of teach this is to use this analogy that imagine, you know, you're in a dark room. And you don't know what you're going to trip on, what you're not going to trip on. You don't know uh, where the door is or the when there's no windows. You don't know where the lights are, the light switches or not. And, and then suddenly like a flashlight kind of comes on and shows you something. All right, And it shows you kind of the way out of the darkness, the way out of the lostness, the way to navigate around the obstacles, the tripwires, all those kinds, the mess that you and I have made. The light shows you. And what the light, which is the Holy Spirit in my analogy, is showing you always is Jesus Christ. And you see this light and you want to move in the direction of Christ. That's the best and easiest way that I can explain kind of what 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12 is doing. Now, we can respond to that in a couple of different ways, and we're going to be unpacking the, some, the three negative ways to respond to that over the next three weeks before we get into our uh, end of the summer back to school series. So the first word that we're going to look at is the word resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open them up, turn them on. Of course, you can follow along with me on the TV screen behind me. We're going to be in the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 7. So here's the background. There's a guy named Stephen who kind of gets in trouble with the religious leaders of the day because he's talking about Jesus and doing works in Jesus' name. So the background of this is from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. It says, Now Stephen, full of grace and power. Now when, we, when, when it says grace and power, that's going to be synonymous with something else that we'll see in just a minute. So remember, full of grace and power. So Stephen was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And then opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen Synagogue, and they began to argue or debate Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the Spirit, full of grace and power, full of the Spirit, same thing, and the Spirit by whom Stephen was speaking. And then they're going to call Stephen in, and they're going to ask Stephen a question, and Stephen is going to proceed to preach the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts, and then they're going to kill him. And we're going to look at the end of the sermon in just a second. But what this reveals is the pattern for how this light comes on, or how this revealing work of the Holy Spirit occurs. The pattern is this. The Word of God combined with the Spirit of God. This is always the pattern. There, this is always the pattern of how God speaks inside of our mind or speaks inside of our, of our heart. All of us have had those kind of, just this thought came to me. And it could have been something about business or you suddenly remembered somebody's anniversary. Or, oh, this, oh that's, this is an idea or whatever the case may be. That thought, that illuminating, that light bulb moment in our spiritual walk is the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit plus the Word. And then we have the person or the people's response. And the response is either positive or negative. Three negatives we're looking at, resist, grieve, and quench. 
And that's what happens every time. So, so, so Stephen proceeds to preach a long sermon about the history of Israel, the Jewish people, and how God had moved through the Holy Spirit, how God had revealed himself through the Holy Spirit. And then he starts to diagnose the response, the historical response uh, of the majority of the Jewish people and the particular group of people that he's speaking to here in the book of Acts from the Freedmen Synagogue in this crowd that's assembled. And here's what he says, okay? You stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked, kind of an agricultural analogy, like if you've ever ridden a horse and the horse doesn't want to cooperate with the bridle, they just keep their neck stiff. They are uncooperative, unresponsive, with uncircumcised hearts. Now, to a Jewish person, that's an insult because Jewish people were physically uh, circumcised, but he says your hearts have been unaffected by God. So you're just like, and this would be insulting to a Jew, you're just like a Gentile. So stiff-necked, uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always, here's our word, resisting the Holy Spirit. You're always resisting <clears throat> what the Holy Spirit, or should I say who the Holy Spirit is revealing to you. And then he goes into this, this resisting of who the Holy Spirit's revealing. And your ancestors did as your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? What does a prophet do? He tells the word of God. Remember the pattern? Word plus spirit, people's response. They persecuted the teachers, preachers, prophets of the word of God. They resisted the spirit. They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. Jesus is who he's talking about. Whose betrayer and murderers you have now become. So you have murdered and betrayed the righteous one, Jesus, because you've resisted the Spirit. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. So you are disobedient, unresponsive, unaffected by the Holy Spirit of God. So the pattern is word plus word in the Spirit of God, and then we get the person's response. So here's what we need to see about this. God is always the initiator. God is always the one who, quote unquote, makes the first move. Ladies, God is sort of like the guy, God asks you out first. God is the one who's going to move in our direction. You cannot become a Christian, hear me, without God first moving upon you. You cannot respond to God without God first acting towards you, initiating towards you. He does that. How? Through his Holy Spirit. So, so for some of you, that's really one of the best things you could ever hear. Because you've always believed you got to clean yourself up first. You've always believed that to get right with God, you've got to like polish your shoes, get your coat and tie on, quit that beer, quit that, you know, do this, give up that, and then you can come to church, and then you can come to the altar, and then you can get right with God, and then you can get baptized. It's actually quite the opposite. God taps you on the shoulder. God turns a light on in your heart, in your mind, shows you Jesus, and says, come as you are. I will initiate. I just need you to respond. So the essential, the decisive actor is the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. We do what? We RSVP. We do what? We respond. And we can resist 
This is why a question that I get kind of frequently, probably most pastors in America get frequently, is this question of, Matt, what is the unpardonable sin? Or what is this thing that Jesus talks about? Let me read it for you in Mark chapter 3. Now, remember this. God always initiates. God always woos. God always asks us out first. God always invites us first. God always turns the light on for us through the work of the Holy Spirit. We are responders. So this is why the work of the Holy Spirit is so essential and so critical. Because if we ignore or rather we resist this, this is when Jesus' words come to play. Mark chapter 3. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. Now let me just stop there before we go to the next verse. All sins. So, so all, anything that you think God cannot touch or God cannot forgive me for that or God is not going to get over that one or God's going to hold that one against me, all sins that we repent of, guess what? He says he can forgive, but, Jesus says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal, meaning it will always stand on your record, and you will experience the wrath of God eternally, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, that's kind of scary to a lot of people because we're like, what does that mean? That simply means this. God turns the light on and shows you Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And you shut it down. You resist continually. And you turn away continually. And you move away continually such that eventually God simply turns the light off and leaves you as you have requested him to leave you in a room of darkness, in a room filled with a mess of your own making. Rather than receive his mercy, you choose your mess. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's resisting the work, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. And Christ says that's an eternal sin. So the eternal sin is not that I killed someone. It's not that I've struggled with drugs and alcohol. It's not that I am a womanizer. It's not that I've missed church. It's not any of those things. It's that you say no to the mercy of God revealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit and you choose to stay locked up, lost in the room of the mess of your own making. That's it. Period. That's it. Period. Now, sometimes that's scandalous because there's serial killers who have said yes to Jesus Christ. And they are just as forgiven as the goody person who's been in church all their lives. Because the mess you make is never greater than the mercy God reveals and gives in Christ. Unless you resist and say, God, I'll stay in my mess. That's it. Jesus explains even more the work of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel where he says this. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, here's what he's going to do. He will convict the world about sin. So the Holy Spirit, part of the illuminating work, is going to shine into us and say, you are against God. You have done things that violate the holiness, justice, love, mercy of God. So he's going to shine on us about righteousness, because he's going to show us someone, 
and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me. Notice that the solution to sin, listen, notice that the solution to sin is not necessarily Jesus saying stop sinning. It's God saying here's Jesus, give your sin to him. Okay, so that's important for us to see. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so critical, so critical that we say yes, we receive the light that God gives us, that aha moment, that oh, move toward mercy, move toward the Messiah, move toward Christ versus stay in my mess. All right? So, so back to Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He simply said, look, the light has come on throughout the history of Israel, and you keep shutting it down. You don't want to look there. You don't want to look at Christ on the cross. You don't want to look at Christ that's found in the Old Testament Scriptures. You want to stay in your stiff-necked, uncircumcised, disobedient state. And at some point, the light's out, and God will leave you there and give you what you want. So they hear Stephen's diagnosis, and here's their response. Remember, they're the negatives. They're the resistors. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. They didn't want any part of what he was saying. They didn't receive the diagnosis. They didn't embrace the solution. The diagnosis is you're a sinner. The solution is Christ is a Savior. The diagnosis is you're in a mess of your own making, but God's mercy is available to you in Christ. I or the Holy Spirit has, has the light comes on, shows you Christ. All you do is step toward him that, and just don't resist that. Just don't resist that movement. And they're like, no, we'll stay where we are. And they're mad at Stephen. They're mad at him. And so now contrast these people who are resisting the Holy Spirit and Stephen who's full of the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen to how Stephen is described. Verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, lights on, light is shining bright, gazed into heaven. He looks where the light's shining, Christ. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What does the Holy Spirit do? He shines the light so we see Christ. We see Christ in our mess. We see Christ in salvation as we live. So he sees Christ at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens. I see the lights on. The heavens open. The light is shining on who? The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They get even, they get, they get even more mad. They yelled at the top of their lung or voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began <clears throat> to stone him. When they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So here's what we need to see. Staying alive, absent the Holy Spirit, is not the goal. Okay? That Stephen was operating in full cooperation with the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Now, from this... We're going, to talk about three, we're going to talk about three lessons. The lessons are going to come to us in the form of a warning, a truth, and a definition. A warning, a truth, and a definition. The first is a warning. It's a warning that we in, in the church need to really listen to and lean into. It's, it's a warning we've got to pay attention to. Here's the warning. The angry crowd believed they were right. The angry crowd believed they were in the right and that they're so furious at Stephen and it's self-righteousness. It's, hey, we've got all these traditions and we've got all these things. We're right, Stephen. You're wrong. Why did they think they were right? 
So they had religion. They had religion. And what, what, what is religion? I, I tell you all the time, Christianity is not a religion. Something else. We'll get to that. Religion really is simply this, the ways we try to control, appease, or deal with God. It's, why, it's the way we try to be respectable toward God. It's, religion is, God, I've said my prayers today. Aren't you happy with me? God, I, I, I've been to church, hadn't cheated, hadn't killed anybody yet. Um, aren't you good with me? Religion are sort of man-made tools that we think make us right with God that we think make us okay or how we deal with God. Atheists have a religion. They just choose to take God out of it, right? And so it's kind of our system of what we do to sort of deal with God, appease God, keep God at an arm's length, and and those kinds of things. And Christianity is not a religion. The the religious question is simply this, and that's why it's hard. What do I need to do? And, and we're good at asking that question. Most people, they come to see me, they got a marriage problem, they got a spiritual problem. The first thing they'll say out of their mouth is, what do I need to do? And I want to be honest with you. The first answer is nothing. Nothing. Because God does it for you. See, most of our problems are like this. Imagine, you know, you've been beaten up or been in a car wreck. You lose consciousness. You wake up in an ambulance. They've got, you know, stuff going in you and things on you. And you wake up and, man, there's a, a surgeon there and nurses and doctors. And you're in the ambulance. And you're like, I messed up. What do I need to do? And they're like, just don't resist. Just receive God. This explains prayer in a way. So let me dive into prayer for just a minute. The the disciples see Jesus pray in Luke 11. And and we think of prayer as, hey, this is how I get God on my side. You know, this is how I get God to work this out, solve this problem, deal with that. And and listen to how Jesus describes when, when we pray. Here's what he says will happen. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So the Holy Spirit comes and does the initiating, does the work, and the Holy Spirit is the one that we need, okay? And, and so when, when, when we see or we, we embrace or we understand the, that <clears throat> the, the reason they resisted, they thought they were right because they had religion, that the solutions we're often seeking are less behavioral and more relational, and that's what we have to understand, that really the first, what the Holy Spirit's going to do, first of all, is not show us a five-step plan to have a better marriage. He's going to show us Jesus Christ. So, so I, I tell people all the time, listen, you want the best marriage possible? Love Jesus more than your spouse. Who's going to show you Jesus in ways that it will increase your love for him? Holy Spirit. Business people come in, they, hey, I want to be a Christian at business. Give me five steps. Love Jesus more than money. Who's going to show you Jesus is better than money? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. See, we we get into, hey, I want to do, I want to do. First, we have to receive. First, we have to receive. So let let me ask it this way for you. What do you think comes to God's mind when God thinks of you? See, most of you... Well, not not necessarily most of us, but some of us, we think of this word, do. There's something God wants me to do. Or there's something God wants me to stop doing. And that's what we think. I think what God thinks of when God thinks of you is the word with. He wants to be with you. 
That's why he gave his son on a cross. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit to turn the light on to show us Christ on that cross, how much he loves us. So we will move toward him and away from the mess. And when Stephen chooses to use this word resist, and Paul is going to use the word grieve and quench, what they are teaching us is something so profound, so beautiful, so amazing. And this is truth. And the truth is simply this. Christianity is a relationship with a person. Capital P person, God. Christianity is a relationship with a person. And if you've ever been in a relationship <clears throat> with a person, you know uh, that sometimes uh, rules don't apply. You know you can't make it formulaic, right? See, a lot of people, they, that religion gives you a formula to kind of keep God okay and to keep God happy. A relationship, the formula is you just need to be in love and fall in love, stay in love, give each other time. It's the difference between a good date night and a bad date night. You know, I, I tell you all the time, you need to date your wives, you need to date your spouses, you don't, you, know, you don't quit after the honeymoon. You don't quit after you have kids. You, you pay a babysitter now or you pay an attorney later, right? Okay? <clears throat> but there's a difference between a good date night and a bad date night. Imagine we go out on a date, spouse and I, Beth and I, and I'm on my phone the entire time. And she gets home and is like, I just don't feel connected. And I'm like, hey, we went on a date. Not really, did we? See, some people go to church Hey, God, I've been to church. And he's like, well, you didn't meet me there. Hey, God, I prayed today. You didn't pray to me because God wants to be with, right? So Christianity is a relationship with a person. See, religion comes across as ideas to accept and or rules to, and or rules to obey or follow. Christianity is simply a person to love and a person to follow in order to be with him, period. That's it. That's it. So, so the question really for, that we can wrestle with as well is this. What does it mean to really have crossed over from darkness and the mess to the light and the mercy of God? What does that look like? So what, the best way that I can do this and pray that the Holy Spirit works is just simply to read a passage of Scripture over you and to you. And, and so if you're sitting here like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if that light has come on. I'm going to read a passage. And just meet yourself in this passage. Because this passage to me is the best way to understand what it's like to move into Christ. What it's like to be adopted into God's family and to be a part of His kingdom. It comes from the book of Colossians. I'll start reading in verse 12 where it says, We give thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance. Here's our word, in the light. So God has invited, God has wooed, God is courting. Then it starts talking about the Son of God. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, that dark room filled with a mess of our own making, and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, moved us out of the darkness into this kingdom of light. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And and here's the deal. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, dark room, in a mess of our own making, anti-God, anti-relationship with God. We may have had religion, but we didn't have Christ. But now, He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death on the cross to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before Him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, the Word of God plus the Spirit of God invites you to God. The go- this gospel that has been proclaimed, the Word of God, in all creation under heaven of which Paul is a servant. That to me, right now, you can ask yourself, has that happened to you? Do you have a BC moment? I know I was in darkness. I was in a mess. I didn't know how to get out. The Holy Spirit or a sermon or a friend or an invitation or a letter showed me Christ. I was transferred out of darkness. I was reconciled with my Creator, my Redeemer. My hope is in Him. That's it. That's the work of salvation. And it's not our work. All we have to do is receive it and not resist it. So the two really ongoing responses that we have toward this work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us are simply this. God will bring conviction of sin with reconciliation And we just look to and yield to Christ. That's all we do. Just look and yield to Christ. See, a lot of us, we think of of God as conviction and condemnation. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows you your cancer, and then He shows you your cure. The Holy Spirit shows you the mess you made, and then He shows you the mercy of Christ as the cure for the mess you made. That's it. He will not, he doesn't want to leave us in condemnation. And that's ongoing. That's what Paul says, if you remain steadfast, hope in the gospel. That does, so you don't just get saved and get over it. You don't, you're not just, hey, I believe in Christ. I'll, I'll see him when I get there. It's all the time. Conviction, solution, look to Christ, yield to Christ. And then like we see with Stephen, God, and this is why we say we live sent as a church, God invites contribution. He wants us to participate with him in his redeeming work. God invites contribution with dependence as we look to and yield to Christ. That's it. So, so what does that mean? A lot of people get invited into the church and say, hey, I, you, we want you to serve or, or we want you to be involved or we want you to live sent or we want you to you know, be involved in a ministry. We want you to share your faith or your Jesus story, your BC to AD story with your friend. And a lot of people look at themselves and like, I can't do it. No, no, no. He invites contribution with dependence. Who's the, who do we depend upon? Holy Spirit to show us the way, to depend on His strength. And we look and we yield to Christ. That's the pattern over and over and over again. God's really great work is to do something. It's to get our eyes off ourselves 
We start looking at our sin, and we feel terrible about ourselves. God can never use me. God can never forgive me. No, get your eyes off yourself and look at Jesus. Yes, he hung on the cross to forgive every sin except the one sin of working against and resisting the redemptive work, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. God calls you to serve. God calls you to give. God calls you to go. Oh, who, me? God couldn't use me. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes on Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13, right? Get our eyes off ourselves. Get your eyes off yourself. Don't come to church to keep your eyes on yourself. Some some people come to church and hold up a mirror. It's all about me, baby. No, it ain't. Not if the Holy Spirit's working. It's not about us. And that's why number three, this is the definition of resisting. Resisting the Holy Spirit is really all about the lordship and leadership of Jesus. All about lordship and leadership. The angry crowd that killed Stephen that day, what did they really say? We want to remain our own God. We want to keep the steering wheel in our hands. We want to be our own pilot. It's all about leadership and lordship. So imagine you're in your house, power's out, complete darkness. Middle of the night, no moon, you're lost, you're confused. And a light comes on on your porch and you hear a knock at the door. What you hear, what you see, the light you receive, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. You peer out through the side, look through the little eye hole, whatever it is, and there on your porch is Jesus Christ. And he says, would you let me in? Now, you know something, though, because of the Holy Spirit showing you Christ. You know if you let him in, he's going to renovate. He's going to renew. He's going to restore. He's going to reconcile. He's going to resurrect. So many people who think they're Christians have left Jesus on the porch. Oh, I know who Jesus is. So does Satan. Oh, I believe in Christ. So does Satan. Oh, I see what he did on the cross and Christmas and Easter. So does Satan. You have to just let him in. And then look at him and look at him and yield and yield, and yield, and yield, and yield, and yield, and yield. That's it. So let's check our response in the time we have left. A couple of things is to see. Maybe how open are we as a people to this mysterious yet essential work of God through the Holy Spirit? First question is this. How do we respond to correction? Most of us not well, especially if it comes through a source we don't like, like our neighbor, our spouse, or our friend, you know? They didn't like Stephen, and they missed the message. See, here's what I know. Sometimes, oftentimes, the Holy Spirit has to humble us so he can lead us, so he can restore us. Most of us don't like to be humbled. But it's necessary. Lost people, people in a mess of their own making, have to get to the point where they say, I can't. Light comes on, but he can, he has, he will. His name is Jesus. Are we more about 
do better or Christ is better. See, a lot of religion and sermons and books and churches are about do better. See you next week. Christianity is about Jesus is better. In him, through him, you can and will do better. But what's first is Christ is better. Who shows us Christ is better? Holy Spirit. Last question. Then we'll pray. When is the last time we've said, I can't, God can, I'll yield to him. I can't. God can, I'll yield. Marriage, finances, walk with God, getting up in the morning. I can't, God can, I'll yield to Him. Would you bow your heads, pray with me. God, the Holy Spirit, we want to just give you just a little bit of space in our minds and our hearts right now for where the light might be shining in us and how it might be showcasing, you might be showcasing King Jesus. So we're just going to be still just for a few seconds. And I just want to invite everybody here to be in touch with the truth we've heard, but the Spirit of God who's here because the Word of God is being proclaimed. We will be still and know you, Holy Spirit. God, because you're faithful, I know that in many, 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 many hearts here today, you've shown us yourself in a way that invites a positive response of faith, of trust. May we receive. May we RSVP. Yes, we yield. Yes. We yield. King Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have your way in us today. In your name we pray. Amen.